0: I wonder if you've ever found yourself in an experience that is so bizarre that you forget to comment on what is going on. Anybody ever found themselves in that situation? I was once in a petrol station filling my car up with petrol, and um, I went to pay, and I came back out to the car to find a man sat in the seat of my car, (laughs) trying to start it, and I just froze. You know, when you sort of think, is he trying to steal my car? What's he doing? Why why is he in there? And I must have been there sort of about five or ten seconds before I sort of unfroze and took the courage to open my car door and say to this man, what are you doing? Turns out he'd got in the wrong car. His car, which is a similar make, model, and color to my car, was sat on the other side of the petrol station. He'd accidentally got into the wrong car. It's easy to do. If you were here last week, um, we were looking at a conversation that Jesus had with a woman by a well in the middle of the day, in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. This woman was a Samaritan, she was a woman, and because she was a woman, a Jewish man wouldn't have been normally speaking to her. Because she was a Samaritan woman, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get on, there's no way that Jesus should have really been speaking to her. And she was also a woman with quite a past history. But Jesus, if you were here last week, we saw how he came and he shared words of eternal life with her. And at the end of the verses, just before those we're about to read, he simply said, I am the Christ. I am the promised one. So if you've got your Bibles in front of you, there's some church Bibles um, in the seats either in front of you or behind if you want to follow this. Um, We're in John chapter 4 and I'm reading from verses 27 through to 42. It's on page 1008. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Even now, those who reap draw their wages. Even now, they harvest a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So we pick up that reading when the disciples come back. And I, I think they're in that sort of petrol station moment. They're not sure why Jesus is talking to this woman. They're a bit aghast at what is going on. There's no logical explanation as far as they can see. John tells the story, doesn't he? But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? And as I'm reading that, I have a bit of an image in my mind of what John is trying to convey. It's a sort of a scene of everybody freezing. You know when you get that situation where nobody quite knows what to say? The disciples don't know what to say. And I think from the way that the text is here, The woman doesn't know what to say either because you notice what she does. She leaves the water jar and she goes back to the town. So she's left a water jar here. She's not got the water she came for. Jesus is still without a drink. The disciples are not asking questions that they're asking in their heads. And Jesus is sat there while all of this is going on. But Jesus has broken every social norm. He's given dignity to a marginalized woman. And just as he did in chapter 3, he has said that everybody... Everybody needs to hear, no matter what the background, the words of hope that he brings for eternal life. But this woman has something very serious to do. And this is what we find she does next. She goes and tells people about Jesus. She goes and tells people about the encounter she has had with this man who told her all about her past life. All about the five husbands that she'd had and the man that she's living with who isn't her husband. I had a really interesting conversation with with somebody um, the other week, and they asked me a very simple question. They said, why do you believe in God? Now, they knew I was a minister, so they were probably expecting some slightly complex answer or or something that that was fairly deep. Um, But it's quite interesting. When you put on the spot, what do you say to that kind of question? Why do you believe in God? Well, the answer that I came up with on the spot was simple. It was, I see the evidence. I see the evidence of a God who is at work. A God who is at work in my life and a God who I see at work in other people's. The Samaritan woman has seen in her encounter with Jesus enough to challenge her, enough to get her asking questions, could this be the Christ? So she goes around the town and she says to people, if you look at verse 29, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Here's a woman on the outside. If you were here last week, we were seeing she was a totally marginalized person, but she's just encountered Jesus. She didn't have a lot of understanding. She hadn't read the Gospels because they weren't written. She'd only had one conversation with Jesus. She wouldn't have known a great deal of the Old Testament because the Samaritans only read the first five books of the Old Testament. So she had very limited understanding. But what she did know is she'd encountered somebody who was going to change everything. Two things I want to look at um, just from from this verse, verse 29. I'm going to look at them the wrong way round, just to keep life interesting. And it's this, you know, she um, has said, could he be the Christ? Could he be the one that we're expecting, the one that God has promised he will send? But interesting question there. Samaritans only use the first five books of the Old Testament. Most of the prophecies about Jesus come later on in Isaiah and some of the other major and minor prophets. What hope could she have had about Jesus? Anybody got a really good memory? No hands dare go up now, because you know I'm going to ask you a question. Christmas Day, we looked at a particular verse from the book of Numbers, one of the first five books of the Old Testament, where it says this, this is a prophecy about Jesus. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. She would have had a hope that Jesus was coming. She wouldn't have known a great deal of the detail, but that hope was there. See that bit about the star? Can you remember what that was all about? The wise men followed a star. That comes from that passage. But the Samaritans, just like the Jews, are waiting for the anointed one, the one that God would send. But secondly, from that verse, or rather firstly, because we're going the wrong way around, if you're confused, so am I, she tells people to come and see this man who's told her everything that she's done. You see, this is testimony. This is sharing what God has done in her life. And as far as she's concerned, because what Jesus has told her, he couldn't have known naturally, it's enough to warrant exploring. It's enough to make that link. Is this the one that God has promised? And the way she tells it, the way John um, tells this account, I get the real impression the people in the town knew this lady quite well. She'd have probably been quite infamous because of having all these husbands and this lifestyle that she'd had previously. But Jesus has spoken over her. She has encountered Jesus. And it's very simple, you know. Evangelism, sharing Jesus, is simply about people who encounter Jesus sharing Jesus. And that is what happens here. A woman who doesn't know a great deal, whose story isn't yet complete, but has encountered Jesus, wants to tell other people about it. So verse 30, the people come out of the town to see who Jesus is. They're interested, they're curious. They want to know the story. I'm just wondering how many stories there are in this room today of what Jesus has done in your life that actually need sharing, that actually need to be either written down or verbalized or spoken to with somebody. You know, when I was talking to that person the other week about why I believed in God, and I said it was the word evidence that was so key for me, the evidence that I was bringing to mind was actually those things that I've seen God do in my life and in the lives of other people. Those things that I can't argue away. Those things when I've prayed and I've seen God answer. The times when I've seen people whose lives were in a mess that Jesus has put back together. Those times when I know I've been struggling with something in my own heart and God has freed me from it. Because that's my experience, that's my story. It's not something that somebody can say, well, that didn't happen. Because I know it did. And for me, that is evidence that is pointing to Jesus. Another thing of evidence is the testimony of the church. You know, this week, um, there have been a number of people in our church who have been quite unwell. And I've been getting sort of regular text updates of, you know, what's been going on and who's been going to see who. And to me, that is a testimony of the love of God being lived out. You know, we're a church family. We care for one another. We demonstrate the love that God has poured into our hearts. It's a story that needs to be told. It's a story of God at work. I've been reading a book this week um, by a man who who is a Christian who has set out writing a book to try and sort of combat what I would call evangelistic atheists. You know, people like Dawkins and Hitchens and people who, who write books to actively try and pa- persuade people not to believe in God at all. You know, sort of the God delusion type things. And he argues, and I, I totally agree with him, he says their sort of way of thinking, when it boils down to it, just leaves you in a place of despair and a place of no hope. Because if there is no God, there is no purpose to anything. There is no reason for anything. But anyway, that's a a conversation for for another day. But he goes on to say, you bring Jesus into the equation, and everything changes. And he says, as Christians, you know, we, we we should be telling our stories of Jesus. Telling how Jesus has impacted our lives. But he says this, he says, for all their shortcomings, the churches are the greatest single fount of social capital on earth. That sounds a bit sort of academic, doesn't it? But what I think he means is this, is the church lives out the love of Jesus and demonstrates it to people. Now, how many churches are there that are setting up food banks at the moment? How many churches are there and Christians who are loving one another and demonstrating it? It's fantastic when our stories of what Jesus is doing resonate in the lives of everyday people. Are you sitting on a story that needs sharing today? Are you sat on something where you have encountered God at work and it needs sharing. Now, the good news is from this story, you don't need to have it all worked out in order to share that story. You don't need to know your five-point Calvinism or have read very deep books on theology. You just need to have encountered Jesus and seen something of what he can do in your life. And then share it with somebody else. And you will be amazed what God will do through that. But you know, there's another side to this. Perhaps you're here today and you're just not sure about Jesus. Jesus. You've heard bits about him, but, but you don't really know who he is. You don't know whether he's real. What testimony from somebody else would you accept as evidence pointing to Jesus? What would you accept? You know, it's really easy sometimes to argue stuff away. To say, well, that's your experience, but, but that doesn't have to be true. Yeah, we're rationalists in the world. We, we need to be able to prove things. But, you know, if you want to live by that method of thinking, you can't really prove love in a laboratory. You can't prove human emotions by sort of doing tests on them. It's what we feel. It's who we are. It's what the experiences that have happened to us. This woman told the people into the town. She went into the town and she said, this is what's happened. Come and have a look. They took it as valid because they knew she'd experienced something. They knew she'd encountered somebody. I think sometimes, um, as Christians, we can very easily get sidetracked. I don't know if you notice how the disciples get sidetracked midway through this conversation. Verse 31, they've been to get food and into the town, and they simply say to Jesus, eat something. Now, Jesus goes on then to talk about food, but they're all based on the physical stuff. They're talking about, come on, Jesus, have some physical food. And Jesus, he's talking about spiritual food. He's talking about the gift of God for eternal life. Look at verse 32. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. What do the disciples do? They take it literally. They think he's snuck out into Sikhar for a a sneaky kebab or a a burger or something, and they don't get it because they've got sidetracked. I came across this this week. Ten ways to avoid getting sidetracked while you're cleaning. It's a website for how to make sure that you don't get sidetracked when cleaning the house. I have a remedy for that, if that's something you suffer from. If you don't start something, you can't get (laughs) sidetracked. But it is so easy to get sidetracked, isn't it? So easy. You know, there'll be times when, when Claire will be talking to me, and we'll be having a conversation, and she'll say, you're not listening to me, are you? You're not listening to a word I'm saying. What did I just say? And I'll be there thinking, now I know you've said something. <laughs> but I really, I'm not sure what you've said. We have this, this phrase that we sort of joke about. You know, when you're talking to somebody and you're not listening, it's the sort of speaking to you, looking through you. I don't know if you've ever heard that said. You you're talking to somebody and you're just not engaged. You're not engaged at all. You get sidetracked. Our minds go off on different tangents and in different places. And it's so easy to do spiritually. It's so easy to get sidetracked. Now, somebody can answer this for me. What is the main goal, purpose, job of the church? Whatever you want to call it. What is our main thing that we need to be doing? Make disciples disciples of all nations. Would people looking in at Lim Baptist Church think that was our main purpose? Would they think that's what we existed for? Would people looking in at churches together in Lynn or into our wider, say, Baptist Church family or whatever church grouping you want to talk about Would people looking from the outside say, actually, you're on message? Or would they say, actually, you've got sidetracked? You know, you you set off to clean the house, but now you're playing on your iPad. You set off to clean the house, but now you're reading a book that happened to be more interesting than what you were doing. So easy to get sidetracked. But then we get back to the main message in this passage. And we find that actually, as a result of the testimony, there are new believers. If you've got a story of an encounter with Jesus, be it 30 years ago, be it today, don't ever think that it's not worth telling. What was this woman's testimony at this point? Was it something really well thought out? It was simply that Jesus has told her something that he couldn't have known naturally. He told her about her life. He revealed something through the Spirit. Now, we can sit here and think, well, yeah, that is pretty amazing, isn't it? And yes, it is amazing. But so is any time we encounter Jesus. A few weeks ago, um, I was involved in running the baptism course for the the people who have been baptised over the last few weeks. And we got to the point of of sharing about what we put into a testimony. Before you're baptised, we invite everybody who's going through the waters to say a little bit about their story and how they came to have a faith and hope in Jesus. And it took me right back to the time when I was baptised. I, I was 18 when I was baptised. And I remember going through exactly the same thing as somebody saying, this is what you need to share in your testimony. And at 18, you know, I'd been brought up in a Christian home. Um, I hadn't had much life experience to get wildly sidetracked by all kinds of other things. And so I didn't think I had much of a story. I didn't think there was much to tell. But actually, when you start to unpack what God had done in my life, there was a story to tell. Because I have been sidetracked in life, all of us are. All of us fall into sort of sin and ways that we shouldn't be living and that kind of thing. Jesus had died on the cross for me, for me personally. Jesus had come into my life through the Holy Spirit. Jesus had done things. Jesus had um, um, changed me in various different ways. Even at 18, that was a story that was worth telling. And when I told it, people were impacted by it. People will be impacted if you've encountered Jesus and you tell that story, people will be impacted by it. It led people here to go and seek out Jesus. Look at verse 39. Many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She didn't have much to say, but it was enough. It was enough. You know, we have a testimony box outside, if you go through those doors, just on that first table, and it says testimony box on it. Darren put it out there, probably about two months ago. And the hope is, is that we will hear stories of what God is doing in our midst. And if God is doing something in your life, you write it on a piece of paper, you stick it in the testimony box, and then we'll share it in a service. To date, one person has written in there. I don't believe that God has done just one thing in our midst in the last two months. If today you are sat on a story that needs sharing, go and fill it in, put it in that box. Let's hear what God is doing. Let's be encouraged with one another. Just this evening, we've got our exalt service. If you've got something to share, I was talking to Nick beforehand, there will be time to share tonight. If you've got a story that will encourage other people, come and share it. So this woman, she shared a story. Some people have believed. And Jesus then goes into the town of Sychar to stay for two days. They invite him there, and he stays for two days. Now, we think of um, a town as being a big place. It's probably 50 to 100 people. It's only a small village, Sychar at this point. Two days is probably enough to get around most of the people and to have a chat with them. But what happens is they go from hearing testimony to experiencing Jesus. Your testimony is a good starting point. Our stories, the witness of the church, the evidence of the gospel in other people's lives gets us so far. But it's the radical encounter with Jesus himself that changes everything. It's that point of knowing Jesus that changes everything. You know, there are no secondhand Christians, there are no people who encounter Jesus by somebody else. God wants each of us to know him personally. Look at verse 42. The people in the town say this, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. They've gone on a journey. They've gone from believing to knowing. That's quite a journey, isn't it? Belief is something that, that you sort of, well, you believe. I don't know how you describe it, really. It's something that's sort of out there that, that you trust and hope in but cannot necessarily see. Knowing is something that you know for certain. You know, I believe that the sun will come out today. I've seen it earlier. The weather forecast says it's probably due to come out some other time. We can hope. I know it will go dark this evening. And I can tell you, if I go on Google, exactly what time that will be. Guaranteed. If it doesn't go dark at that time, we're in real trouble. But it will go dark, because that is something that we can know. Belief is based on trust and faith. But the New Testament offers us something far more exciting than just a vague belief. It offers us a relationship with Jesus Christ and a deep knowing that the gospel is true and that Jesus is who he says he is and that he wants to impact our lives. This is from Ephesians. This is the Apostle Paul writing. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, the spirit that we've been talking about today on this Pentecost Sunday. There is a deposit, and then it's this word that is key. Guaranteeing those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. A guarantee is something pretty solid, isn't it? It's not a vague thing. It's something that is solid. It's about knowing who we are in Christ. When we believe in Jesus, the promise of the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts. We are sealed. We are guaranteed eternity with him. I'm just going to read this, this quote. I think this is really, really important for us this morning. Because yeah, testimony, telling our stories, is key. But just listen to this. It says, the history of Christianity is very largely what Jesus Christ can do through unlikely people. People who he changes into his being. People who then go on and take the message and tell other people about it. Are you an unlikely person this morning? I think we're all unlikely people, aren't we, in that sense? People who perhaps you wouldn't expect Jesus to entrust that great message of good news with. Yet what do we find? People who encounter Jesus share Jesus. If today that's you, if you've encountered him and you know him, tell other people. Put your testimony in the testimony box. Let's share it with one another. That Jesus has come, that he's died for the sins of the world, he's risen again, and he's coming back. If today you haven't encountered Jesus, if that's not you, then hear other people's stories. Hear what other people have to say and look into who Jesus is yourself. The people of this small town heard a woman's story and it led them to a place of amazing hope. We now know that this is the saviour of the world. Lord, would you help us to be in that place of knowing exactly who you are? Let's pray. i going to read those verses from Ephesians again. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Lord, I want to thank you for this um, Samaritan woman. Thank you that her testimony in you led to more changed lives and the gospel going out across a totally different area. I want to thank you that you are still in the business of changing lives today and that many of us here have stories to tell of what you've done. Lord, may we be like the woman in this account, willing to tell our stories so that those of us who have encountered Jesus share Jesus. Lord, for some of us, we may not be in that place of having encountered you. By your spirit, would you just be doing a work amongst us today? Lord, help us to be in that place where we can say we know that you are the Saviour of the world. In Jesus' name, Amen.